Hello again. Uh, we have something new starting this Wednesday night that we haven't done up till now. Um, the elders have uh, decided that it's a good idea for us to try to get together at least electronically on Wednesday nights. So 6.30 this Wednesday night, we are going to have a Zoom Bible class. We haven't tried this before, so uh, be praying for us. Be praying for the technology. Be praying for the electrons if you feel like it, uh, that, that everything goes smoothly, but we're going to give that a try. I'm really excited about it. I, I did the devotional this last Wednesday night uh, to kind of introduce the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount, and the emphasis will be on, you know, having a chance to rekindle at least a little bit of electronic fellowship and uh, prayer time, as well as discussing those texts. So uh, I hope that if you do have internet, you'll be able to join us. We'll be sending out the links to get on Zoom with us, and uh, it'll give you a chance to talk back to us and ask questions and answer questions and so forth. So join us for that. I hope you will. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I am kind of a nerd when it comes to movies. I don't know much about filmmaking, but I like to see making of documentaries, especially movies that I really like. I bought all the uh, DVDs for like the whole Lord of the Rings series because they had all this behind the scenes stuff. And I like the, the making of for the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because you know, you, you, these terrifying scenes, you know, uh, of Thanos or other people in the Marvel Cinematic Universe doing these awful things. And then you see the making of, and it's just this guy sitting there with dots all over his face uh, in front of a green screen. Uh, and and, and it's, that, it's that realization, that shift in perspective from what appears to be so terrifying to uh, something that is put in perspective. Today is probably the last of our lessons in this series we've been doing about how God forms us to be in the image of Christ. And we're going to end on a really good one. Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, there are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. We've already talked about faith. We've already talked about love. So today, we're going to focus on hope. And hope, if we understand the way the Bible uses it, hope is that thing that allows us to kind of stop focusing in it allows us to draw back and see things in proper perspective. Rather than being captivated by the illusion the world wants to show us, hope is what allows us to see things as they really are and to live accordingly. And it's one of the ways that God shapes us. Now, I will tell you, I did a little bit of looking into this, Hope in the New Testament is slightly different uh, in flavor. It's, it's mostly the same, but it's slightly different in flavor from the way we, uh, uh, our usage has evolved mostly in English. Uh, the way we use hope now in English, uh, it almost always expresses doubt or uncertainty. That's just the way we use it. I don't know, 
but I sure hope OU will beat Texas next year, right? I mean, that's kind of our, and I do, by the way. Uh, that's just kind of the way that we, that we use it. And, and, that, and you can use it that way even in the, we find usages like that in the uh, uh, New Testament and in the Greek Old Testament. But uh, it also carries uh, the idea of trust. And sometimes it's translated, the verb form is translated as trust as well. It's a little firmer than that. So it's kind of like the difference. Think of the difference between these two sentences. Boy, I hope my kids make good choices tonight. And this sentence, boy, I trust my kids will make good choices tonight. What's the difference in flavor of those two? And the second one, there's a lot more confidence being expressed in who those kids are, what they've learned, what they've been trained to do, and what, what kind of character they have. And hope in the New Testament has that second flavor a lot of the time that we read it. It is not just, well, I don't know, but I'm kind of, I'm rolling the dice and hoping it turns out okay. It is much more, I've invested it. This is where I have, you know, uh, this is where I have set my standard. This is where I have planted my feet. This is where I have uh, decided to um, pitch my tent. This is my trust. And that's what Christian hope is about. There are a lot of passages I could have gone to to help us think through this. I decided to go here to 1 Peter. And we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and 1 Peter chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll go there first uh, and look at it. This, this is a good book. There are several places, but 1 Peter's good because this little church, uh, somebody wants to talk to me now. Uh, this little church, or these churches that Paul is writing to in 1 Peter, they are undergoing actual physical persecution. So they are having their property confiscated. They're being kicked out of their homes in some cases. And they're, they're being fired, you know, first century version of fired from their jobs in some cases. And they are being... Uh, you know, socially ostracized, their families won't speak to them. And in some cases, they are being uh, beaten and imprisoned. So this is a rough time. He calls it a fiery trial that they are going through. This is a hard time. Society has turned against them. Um, the name Christian, the larger society surrounding these churches the name Christian itself is kind of a swear word or a term of abuse. Just because you identify as a Christian, there are people who hate you in this church and in this church setting. That's, that's, the, that's the reality for the, the people that Peter is writing to in 1 Peter. So they need some hope. They need to be reminded of where they have put their trust, where they have planted their flag, what they are depending on and so he is happy to begin to explore that and he lays out some beautiful powerful theology and some stuff that I think is super relevant for us first Peter chapter 1 starting in verse 3 praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy he has given us new birth 
in a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Here's your hope. Let me lay it out for you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means you have this inheritance that cannot be taken away, cannot spoil, cannot fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice. Skip down to verse 8. I'm going to come back to verse 7 in a little bit, but skip down to verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Talking about Jesus. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Lesson number one about living out your hope is that if you the more you can lean into the Christian hope the more you can plant your feet on the Christian hope the more your life will be characterized by joy that's what and and remember Peter's writing to people who who have a lot to complain about and grumble about they're being beaten up and arrested and their property confiscated, and he says, but you have this fundamental groundwork of Christian joy because you know where you're going and you know the blessings God has stored up for you. Joy. Now, in Scripture, and Paul talks about it a lot in some other passages as well, um, in Scripture, joy does not mean that Christians, you know, walk around with grins on their faces all the time. Christianity is serious. It requires serious work. It requires serious struggle. You know, it's, it's not that your life is constantly, you know, has a background soundtrack of, you know, Christian praise songs. Uh, sometimes Christians sing the blues. That's fine. But what it does mean is you're not headed nowhere. You're headed somewhere. You're headed somewhere glorious. And the suffering you go through now is actually worth something because it's actually storing up for you glory in what is about to come. And that's joy. That's this fundamental underpinning that will hold you up and give you joy. So the more I can lean into the hope I have, the more my life will and my psychology will be characterized by that Joy. How do I lean into, by the way? How do I lean into the Christian hope? There's several clues in here, uh, I think, in this passage. One is, this is where you store up your treasures. If you want to lean into your Christian hope, then invest in your hope. Don't just say, I hope in Jesus. Hope. Actually do some stuff about that. The fact that you're here this morning is an investment in your hope. The fact that you get your kids to come with you is an investment in your hope. The fact that you give money, that's an investment in your hope. Those of you who give time and invest your effort and you think about, those are all investments in your hope. When you go and visit a neighbor who's sick or who's down in the dumps, 
When you help somebody who's in prison or you uh, correspond with people on the mission field or contribute money so that the gospel, gospel can be taken over there or you go and visit yourself, which many of you have done, or when you help fill out those World Bible School lessons, you are investing in where you believe you are going. You are investing in your hope. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. <laughs> that makes your hope that, that leans into your hope, and that helps you to have that underpinning of joy that Peter is talking about here. Let's keep going. Look down at verse uh, 13 through 17. Chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace that uh, to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here. In reverent fear. Be holy because I am holy. That's the catchphrase of the book of uh, Leviticus. And, and Peter says, because of your hope in what God is going to do for you in the kingdom of heaven, right here, right now, the more you lean into your hope, the more you're able to kind of turn your back to the sins and temptations that keep trying to grasp you and that often catch the people of the world. He kind of comes back to this theme in chapter 4. I hate to make you flip over, but flip over to chapter 4 and look at verses 3 and 4. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Peter says, you know what kind of lifestyle you had when you were converted. He's talking mostly to converts. He said, you know what seemed normal to you? It seemed inevitable to you when you were living in your pagan lifestyle. It seemed, everybody's doing it, so this must be the right way to live. And you knew you were kind of blowing up your future and, and wrecking your health and, and, and really doing harm to other people, but it's like everybody's doing it, so, so I guess not. He said, you've done enough of that. And now because your hope is set elsewhere, you can turn your back on that. And you don't have to do that anymore. And in fact, your life will not be characterized by those things anymore. And, and that becomes so true, it becomes a stumbling block for the people who still are characterized that way. People who are still living their lives from drink to drink. Or people who are still living their lives from sexual experience to sexual experience. People who are still living their lives to get to the next wild party. 
look at you and say, what is wrong with you? And Peter says, one of the reasons why you're being persecuted, they're going to come up with all kinds of rationalizations, but he says one of the emotional reasons why people have antipathy to Christians is that they know what they're doing is not okay, and you kind of are a judgment to them. You kind of stand in, just by living your kind of life, you kind of stand in opposition by being the kind of person that in their heart they know they ought to be. This is kind of our second key. How do I live into hope? If I lean into hope, lean into the Christian hope, I'll, I'll have more power to do this. But this is also a prescription of how to lean into my Christian hope is by doing this. That is, make your choices hope choices. Don't choose despair. Well, life is meaningless anyway, so I might as well party till I die. You know, what's the point? Just pass the bottle around. Uh, this, This life is going nowhere, we're all going to die soon, so let's just have as many parties as we can. Don't make despair choices like that. Make hope choices. What I'm doing today needs to reflect heaven. Needs to reflect what I hope for. The the choices I make reflect where my hope really is anchored and invested. That anchor is there and it is pulling me, my life, in that direction. When you make a choice, here's a good rule of thumb. When you make a choice, when you're getting ready and you're facing one of these things that's causing you a little, you know, static in your brain, which sometimes we do, ask yourself this question. This is very helpful, actually. If every Christian on earth did what I'm about to do, would it make the world more like the kingdom of God or less like the kingdom of God? Boom. Right? That will help sort out so many confusions that our mind tries to play on us. There are so many things where, I mean, there's lots of stuff that's just neutral. God is just, you know, he says, you make a choice. Do do what seems good to you. But there are some things where you kind of know that you're letting your, you're giving yourself permission to do this, but you would not want the other people at Wilshire doing it. Right? You would not want the other Christians around the world doing it. And when you realize that, you say, Well, this isn't kingdom, this isn't based on my hope in the kingdom. This is not based in my hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and in the kingdom of heaven. Make hope choices. Don't choose death. Don't choose despair. Don't choose nothingness. Choose life. The the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Look at uh, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Look at. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, 
Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called. So you may inherit a blessing. That's how you live in hope. That's how you live in hope. The more you lean into hope, the more I lean into hope, the more we can return blessings for cursing. We can return good to those who do us evil. Peter says, even your friends at church may sometimes hurt you, may hurt your feelings. That happens sometimes. And certainly people out in the world, sometimes quite intentionally, are hurting your feelings. And maybe even hurting you physically or emotionally. The hope that you have can give you the strength not to hurt them back. This is one of the Deep secrets, actually, of the whole Christian system, in fact. If I'm living in the despair zone, this life is all there is, and we're not here that long, and it's whatever I can get, then it's pretty much a dog-eat-dog situation. And if you hit me, I need to hit you back, because I'm not sure anybody else will. If I don't stand up to you, uh, then... You may just totally get away with it. If you curse me out, somebody needs to curse you out back, and I guess it's me. If you insult me behind my back, I need to tear you down behind yours. I just need to. If you live in the despair world, if you live in the death world, if you live in that world without hope, then that all makes sense, and that is the way the world tends to operate. But if you truly believe that God, with all the power, humbled himself to the point of dying on the cross to save people who were cursing him and hurting him, out of love to try and do something good to his enemies, if, you, if that's your hope, then that gives you some strength. The more you lean into that, that gives you some strength to say, I can, I can figure out how to love the people who hate me. I can figure out how to forgive the people who have wronged me. I want to punch them dead in the face, but that's not what Jesus would do. And my hope is in Jesus, and I can do that. And this is one of the ways you actually can lean into your hope. This is one of the ways you train yourself to lean more fully onto your hope. Make your mind a hope-filled mind. You read about, you study about, you discuss with your fellow Christians about the hope that you have. You imagine what it's going to be like when God's will is done in the entire universe the way it's now done in heaven. 
And you think about what that would mean in all the circumstances that are around you. And you, you, the more you think about that, the more you fill your mind with that, the more it will transform your thinking. See, the deal is, this world is like a movie. It is playing tricks with lights and sound to try and manipulate you oftentimes. It wants to control your eyeballs, turn out all the other lights, make you focus on what it wants you to see, make you hear only what it wants you to hear. This is what matters. This is the reality. These are the bad guys. These are the good guys. This is who to boo. This is who to cheer for. This is the way that we want you to live. And hope gives us the ability to pull back the camera and see the tricks that are really being played. To say, wait a minute. This world is not all there is. There is a bigger world. It's God's world. And in God's world, Jesus is coming. The day of judgment is coming. People who are living in rebellion against God are going to have to stand in front of God one day and answer for what they're doing. And I don't want to be judged by God. I want to be welcomed by God. That's the real picture. And that's true in area after area after. Imagine reading tomorrow's news. Tomorrow's news with that in mind. 1 Peter 1.17, we, we read it a minute ago. Live as foreigners in this world. I mean, you're here, but you are here representing another kingdom. This is not your real home. You are here representing the kingdom of heaven. And so the news happens, but you want to inject heaven into whatever garbage this world is spitting out. Man, I, I mean, we're, we're coming up on the political season. And politics is one of those things that every, every generation wants to set itself up as God in your life. I don't care which political party you're part of. I don't care what country you belong to. Politics always tries to assume God's status. It says there are no other issues than the issues of this election, right? I mean, it's just, that's just, just a, a natural gravitational pull to force you to think that way to, if you give in to the illusion. And hope can help you resist that and get the wider picture. I think Christians have to be ready for every good work, and so I think... It is righteous for us to work for justice. It is righteous for us to work for truth. It is righteous for us to try and make, you know, our political, wherever we live, whatever country we live in, to make our world a better place, use the votes we've got and whatever other influence we've got to try and make the world a better place. But please realize that politics is not your hope. Politics takes place in the fallen world. It's mostly run by people who are living, sadly, in the despair mind. And you are not going to get your hope out of it. And it kills me 
I mean, it, I weep about this. I cry about this. It kills me when Christians rip other Christians, children of God, people that God died for on the cross because of political differences. That's ungodly. That is wrong. And it contradicts our hope. It means I've lost perspective. I've focused in too deeply. I can no longer see the big picture. Brothers and sisters, this political season, that will be a temptation. Because there are big issues going on this, this, this political season. And I think we should be involved in them. But please keep the hope mind through this entire process. Jesus died for your brothers and sisters. That's a big one with me. If you want to come talk to me, please do, because this is a big one with me. Finally, look at, uh, back up, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. I said I'd get back to verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. And skipping down, I'm sorry, I skipped down to chapter 3 there. And uh, looking at chapter uh, 3, verses 17 and 18. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for, do, for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. The church, or the churches that Peter was writing to, lived in a society where just being a Christian gave most people license to hate you. That's coming back. A little bit now. Now that, even here in the Bible Belt, that's coming back. And it's certainly true in other parts of our country. Just being who you are, a Christian who lives in this hope, means you may be hated by people. And they may not understand Christianity very well, but they know that name and they don't like it. And therefore they don't like you. That happens. That's happened repeatedly down through the history of Christianity. It's happening in far worse ways in other parts of the world, but it's happening here, and it's going to be part of your life now for a long time, I suspect. And Peter says, our hope gives us the strength to deal with that too. Because the temptation is this, when the world hates Christians... Satan starts whispering in the ears of Christians, why don't you hate them back? When the world 
persecutes Christians, Satan starts whispering in Christians' ears, why don't you persecute them back? When they punch us, Satan says, punch them in the face. If you get a chance, get them. Get while the getting's good. Because they deserve it. They're getting away with it. They need to be punished. Stand up and do something to them. If we had a different Lord, if we had a different Bible, maybe we could do that. But we serve Jesus who looked down at the people who had driven the nails into his hands and said, Lord, forgive them. That's who you serve. That's whose name you bear. When people say, I hate Christians, they are saying, I hate people who bear the name of that person. And that's who you are called to be. That's where your hope is. And the one who forgave even his murderers. The kingdom of God comes a little bit every time one of the followers of Christ is able to live out that truth. Every time one of us is able to take the worst that the world of hopelessness, the world of despair does to us. Every time we take that and instead of spewing back hatred and malice and bullying and violence, we inject love back into the world in some form. The kingdom of God grows a little bit. Brothers and sisters, don't give in to despair. Let's lean into hope. If you need to respond to God's invitation of hope, if you need prayers or help or baptism today, then we invite you to come as we stand and are led in song.